This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, the coldest case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Cardiff, the capital of Wales. We're about 250 miles from London and having a wonderful, wonderful time here. It's a great time to be in Wales. It's a great time to be in Cardiff. That was not always the case, um, economically at least. Uh, this city and this, and, this, and this destination has had a rather interesting history of going from being based purely on a coal environment um, and mining, and and entire empires built on that, to economic despair, to rebirth. And joining me now, somebody who knows a little bit about that, Ken Poole, good buddy of ours, who, uh, and also you're you're at the Cardiff Council, so you've seen all this happen. I have, Peter. I have. It's um, it's been an amazing journey, and we're really now in a period of regeneration and transformation. 
we're predicted to be the fastest growing city in the UK. Um, and uh, my question that would be, who knew? How did that happen? Well, it, it, it happened basically because we've been attracting um, people to live in the city, students to come and reside here and to stay on here as well. Oh, because for a long period of time, people were leaving. They weren't staying. Well, South Wales and the Cardiff region was uh, characterized for many, many years as a, an area where people left to find other job opportunities and other economic opportunities. Now they're coming back into the area to set up businesses, to start families, to uh, attend university. So it's a really exciting time for us. And if, if this is any indication about the rest of the world, travel and tourism plays a big role. Uh, an enormous role. And obviously, it's through travel and tourism and major events that we've uh, begun our journey in terms of regeneration, using our major stadium, the city, to attract special events, bringing people in from all over the UK, Europe and overseas as well, into this city for major events. We're now building on that and hoping to create more jobs more business and more investment here. You know, we, we, we broadcast from Wales every year now for like the last seven years because we fell in love with it. I fell in love with it. I have one producer in particular who is obsessed about it and, and can't wait to come back. Um, and But for so long, you know, when you talk about what did Wales have to offer, well, it was more than just Tom Jones or Catherine Zeta-Jones or Dylan Thomas. Um, uh, we did the show once from, from Port Marion, uh, we happened to be there when, when they were having a revival of The Prisoner. Oh, my God. It was a show that only had, I think, maybe 13 episodes, and people were just completely upset. It was like, you think Star, Trekkie, Star Trekkies are crazy? The people who watch The Prisoner are beyond Trekkie. I mean, they're right? They're crazy. But things have changed. Now you, you have all that, of course, but yes. you have so much more. Culture and our countryside and our heritage is extremely important to Welsh people and extremely important to us in Cardiff, particularly our maritime heritage. But we've built on that, and we're now we're attracting real investment, real jobs, investment from all over the world. We've had a, a steady stream of, of investment from North America for many, many years. But now others are joining us here in Cardiff to set up their businesses and to invest in our property and in our city. I would assume, and you'll tell me if I'm wrong in about 10 seconds, that in order to do that, you had to give people certain tax incentives. You had to make it worthwhile for them to come. Um, that's part of the overall investment package, as it is in many cities within within the UK. But really, we're focusing very heavily on the quality of life within this city. We're only two hours from London, west of west of London. We have a uh, fantastic university in, uh, in infrastructure, and we have a highly skilled skilled workforce. You know, you mentioned the university infrastructure. If you drive around, your university has a lot of real estate. We do. I mean, and a lot of buildings. So even in your tough economic times, you maintain that. Three universities and over 60,000 students within a population of 350,000. So it's a very young city, very vibrant city. And you feel it when you arrive here. When people come here for the first time, what's their biggest surprise that they're not expecting to see? Well, the first, first of all, they, we have a castle in our main streets, which surprises <laughs> our North American visitors. Uh, but equally, it's compact nature, but also the, the green spaces, the quality of life here and the vibrancy and how young the city is. And that really, uh, I think, surprises people. So when we get them here, they tend to stay. Our challenge is to bring more people down to Cardiff, particularly from London and the South. Hello. Hello. feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
I first came to Wales, it was fish and chips. There wasn't a lot of adventure in the food experience. And my next guest is here to tell me, as she's shaking her head right now, times have changed. And uh, Sean Roberts, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, you know about the food movement here because you're part of it. Uh, hopefully, yes. <laughs> I mean, what's changed? Well, I started working promoting Welsh food probably about 20 years ago. Um, the kind of Welsh Assembly government or the government then were very keen to raise the profile of Welsh food and drink. For the, for the very reasons I just suggested. Sure. Uh, we weren't known as a country for good food. Uh, what I found working for them is actually when we were travelling abroad, people didn't know much about Wales. That, that still stays the same, yeah. by the way. Uh, well, I think it's getting better. Well, it had nowhere to go but get better. Yeah, this is yeah. true. Uh, and so, yeah, gradually over the years, um, you know, we've done more and more to kind of raise the profile. And I think at the same time, uh, local food, there's a big interest in local food. And because of things like globalisation and food scares, people are interested more also in, you know, where their food comes from. So I think it's all kind of helped, if you like. But we have, we've got some fantastic food and drink. And we just need to shout about it a bit more, as we do about whales, you know. Okay, well, let's let's get down into specifics here. Okay. Because, you know, we've gone beyond fish and chips. Good. I certainly hope so, right? Yes, we have. And mm-hmm. it's no longer wrapped in the newspaper, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> At least I haven't found it that way lately. So give me an idea of a cutting-edge food experience that you can have in Wales now that you could not have had five years ago. Well, I run a Cardiff tasting tour. So we do a tour where you walk around Cardiff, you discover the city... And Cardiff is a very... Now, it's not a pub crawl. It's not a pub crawl. But we do go to a pub. Of course you You have to go to a pub because it's part of the uh, experience. Of course you do, of course. So we go... uh, What I like to do is I try and include different flavours and also different architecture in the city. It's a beautiful city. We've got beautiful food. So we walk through Butte Park. So Cardiff is a is a very green city, lots of parks. We walk through the park and we go to the National Museum, a stunning building. We have coffee. It, it is a stunning building. Oh. We've actually broadcast from there last year. Just yeah. gorgeous. We have coffee and we have two kinds of Welsh cakes. We have Welsh cakes and barabrith, which is a, a fruit loaf. Now, I've, I've had the Welsh cakes many times. It's got the raisins inside, right? It has, it has. But then there's the other thing you just So mentioned. this is barabrith. So bara means bread and brith means speckled. And it's a kind of fruit loaf. Um, you leave your um, mixed fruit in tea overnight to kind of plump it up, and then you cook it like a fruit loaf, and you serve it with butter, or you can serve it with one of the many cheeses that we have. It's delicious. It's and, really and, moist. And very rich. Yeah, we only have a little bit, so it's a tasting. Oh, yeah. stop. Yeah. Okay. So then we go, uh, we walk through Cardiff, and then we go to a, a delicatessen, which is actually a continental delicatessen. So we have a charcuterie, and we have Welsh cheeses. We've got about 100 cheeses in Wales. This was because of the milk quotas that okay. people went into well, cheese well, production. Well, let's talk about that. 100 different cheeses in mm-hmm. Wales, yeah. not many of them exported to the United States. Yeah, sadly. Uh, I think a lot of them are actually quite small producers and therefore, you know, to, to export to you know, America probably need to be bigger volumes. And there's one called Stinky. Stinking Bishop. Stinking Bishop, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think people are very surprised because I think they tend to assume... By the that way, the smelliest, creamiest cheese is what I want. Okay. So Stinking Bishop is... I'm there. Good. Yeah. Well, what we have, we don't just have cheddars. We have cheddars. We have Caffili, which is probably a well-known Welsh cheese. Caffili is uh, a town just down the road, famous for the castle. Right. Uh, and Caffili is quite a bland cheese, a hard cheese, but we have lots now. We have soft cheeses. We have blue cheeses. We have cheese made with goat's milk, uh, sheep's milk. You know, people don't kind of think of people of Wales as having that kind of range of cheeses, but we do. Mm. Okay. Very so we good. have the cheeses. Then we go to a pub, obviously, and we try some brains beer. 
um, and they can choose. What kind of beer? Well, Brains is one of the uh, oldest I breweries. I know, I know but I love yeah, it. Yeah. I see the signs all over Cardiff, Brains. You yeah, know. which I think causes hilarity for some Americans. I'm not really sure why. I, la- I laughed a little. Sure. Okay, okay. Yeah. But yeah, Brains is a, it's a family brewery based here in Cardiff, so we try some of those beers. Uh, I think especially for visitors, having a British pub on there is great. Welsh pub. It's the, one of the oldest pubs in Cardiff. Uh, we then go into the market and we try lava bread and cockles. Okay, stop. Okay. What is lava bread? So lava bread is a seaweed. So it's gathered from the shores and it's washed and washed and washed and it's made into like a, a pulp, if you like. And some people eat it like that, on, on a cracker or on some bread. Uh, it's like Marmite. I prefer it when it's cooked. Anytime somebody says to me it's like Marmite, <laughs> I'm out the door. <laughs> You've got to try it. You have Although to try it. Although I will tell you, mm. okay, you're going to laugh at me. My friends laugh at me. Every time I come over to Wales or to the United Kingdom, what do I do? I stop at like a Tesco or a Sainsbury's, whatever, and what do I buy? Twiglets. Oh, I thought you were going to say Marmite. No, but what's <laughs> but, but what's in Twiglets? Marmite. Yeah. And it's great. They're, they're, they're like the coolest little pretzels ever. And people either hate them or they love them. And if they hate them, you know what it means? More for me. Absolutely. But other than that, I won't go anywhere near Marmite. I'm sorry. Okay, well, I think you'll, I need to change your mind about lava bread. But you, so we try it with cockles. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Sean Bassett Roberts. Uh, what a perfect segue now about cockles. Now, last year I went to the Central Market, which is right across from where we are right now, yep. uh, and had my cockles. What's a cockle? Uh, it's very similar to clams. But smaller. Smaller. Much smaller. Much smaller. Uh, and it's something, it's again, one of the uh, foods that traditionally were, eating, were eaten in south, southwest Wales. So lava bread and cockles would form a traditional Welsh breakfast. Uh, lava bread is a, a seaweed. Oh, I, could, I could never imagine eating that for breakfast, but that's okay. Uh, well, with bacon, lava bread and cockles, all oh, kind of goes really well hey, together. With enough bacon, I could eat cardboard, too. Oh, there we are. Okay. Uh, so we try the lava bread and the cockles. We have it with brown bread, because you normally traditionally eat it with some brown bread and some either vinegar or lemon on there. And then still in the market, we go on to try some faggots, which are British, not just Welsh, but uh, kind of a Welsh delicacy. <laughs> You're going to have to really explain that word to me now or I'll be off the air. I call, I think it's a bit like haggis. It's the British equivalent of haggis. It's um, it's like a meatball, but it's made with uh, liver or offal and things like that. So kind of cheap cuts of meat. Lots of Welsh dishes were people couldn't afford you know, to, to spend a lot of money on um, exotic ingredients. So we had cheap cuts of meat and the faggots then are served with gravy and mushy peas. That's the law apparently in Wales. <laughs> That's the law. That's the law, yes. <laughs> Everything with mushy peas. Just faggots. Okay, now, what did you bring here? Okay, so I have brought you some oat biscuits um, because Wales is a very hilly country and so great for livestock. So we've got lovely uh, green grass, you know, for dairy, uh, lamb and beef, but not ideal for growing things like wheat, cereals, etc. So lots of people, uh, breads and biscuits, etc. were made with oatmeal. So I've made you some oat biscuits. I've got sweet and savoury. I've got some... Nice Welsh cheddar. 
with my mother's chutney, okay? Oh, this okay. Is Mena's chutney. So basically what you're telling me is I have to eat that one. Absolutely. Well, no, no you, can, you can have the sweet ones after. No, no. After. So this is the one, this is, this yeah. is the oat. So it's oatmeal biscuits yes. that you can eat with savoury or sweet toppings. Right. Uh, and I've got cheddar on there. I've got a Cadog cheddar from West Wales. And then I've got my mother's marrow chutney, Mena's marrow chutney. Mm. And then you can eat them with sweet stuff. I've also got um, obviously Welsh butter, oatmeal Welsh butter, and I've got some marmalade, like a three fruit marmalade made by a company in Newport. I try to p- kind of promote local producers. Well, I have to tell everybody what this marmalade is because I just mm. looked at the label. Mm. Sugar, water, grapefruit, lemons, oranges, marmalade. Yeah, nothing else. That's nothing a lot. Else. Yeah, well, it's three fruit, but there's no additives. And it's made a company called Avril's Kitchen uh, from Newport, and it's absolutely lush. You know the word lush? It's yeah. Welsh for oh, delicious. Yeah. I, it's I, lush, right? Lush. 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 <laughs> well, in the central market today, I, I, I stopped and did my chutneys. Good, yeah. But the chutney I got, because I was under orders from certain people to get it, mm-hmm. was the caramelized onion chutney. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's pretty lush. Yeah. <laughs> Not as lush as my mum's, though. <laughs> No, mom takes the cake. <laughs> or mom takes the biscuit, whatever it is. Uh, well, my mum's mum was a cook for a very posh family in Aberystwyth. And so when she was growing up, um, at the time, things like olive oil, she had to go to the chemist and get olive oil. She had to go to the chemist and get turmeric because people were not cooking. Get what now? Turmeric. Tell me what that is. It's an Indian spice. Got it. Yeah. So, um, so she was brought up with quite exotic cooking. and She's kind of handed it down then to me. Okay, now, on your tour, mm. what's the most surprising meal you're going to have? What's the most unexpected? I think if you haven't been to Wales before, it's the lava bread, the seaweed, because that's different. Uh, and some people, I had someone who runs a gastropub in New York who, ap- he loved it, he had a vat of it on its own. <laughs> well, I'm exaggerating, but, you know. <laughs> well, with enough alcohol. <laughs> yeah, but lava bread, you can cook with it as well. So if you go to restaurants here and you see dishes that are made with lava, it's definitely worth trying. But basically, it's seaweed. It's seaweed. So, you know, sushi, it's yes. the same. Uh, it's the same lava, but we, we serve it in a, like a paste as opposed to, to dried. And you can cook with it. You can make can an omelette with do, it. Can you do crispy lava bread? Uh, you can do, like, yeah, well, well we don't. <laughs> they do in Ireland. They have, like, dried seaweed. See, Ours is the best. Of course. It's lesh. <laughs> it's lesh, isn't it? Lesh lava bread. <laughs> All right. So that, and, and do people really like it? Some people do. Some people don't. All right, so it's an acquired taste. Absolutely. It's a Marmite. It's the Welsh Marmite. Yeah. Back to that Marmite again. Yeah. However, I'm telling you guys, if you can find it online, not every store in America sells it, but try a Twiglet. I'm telling yeah, you. Excuse me. Twig- twig- twiglets are not Welsh. Uh, I think we need to be promoting something Welsh here. Well, I'm not promoting anything here. I'm just telling everybody. That's my, that's my excuse for uh, allowing myself to even be exposed to Marmite. This is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way. Yeah, I gotta go make it happen. Take the world in a loving place. I'm honored to be joined now by a Professor Di Smith, by the way, that's Welsh for David, who is also the head of the Arts Council here in Wales, but you're also a history professor, so we've got we to talk a little history here. Okay, Peter. People don't realize, and, and, and I didn't realize, by the way, until I came here and people started educating me about the whole history of coal mining, about the fact that in the 1900s, Wales was essentially 
the Saudi Arabia of coal because it, it, fortunes were made. Yeah, I mean, coal, you know, was the fuel that made the, sh the ships sail around the world and the steam engines work and so on. And the South Wales Coalfield Basin was the biggest coalfield basin in the world. More coal went out of Cardiff and Barry just down the coast than any other port. The tonnage from Cardiff was greater than any port in the world, including New York City. And a lot of that coal was headed where? Everywhere. Oh, I mean, Chile, Brazil, uh, France, Italy. Uh, industrialization happened because... Welsh coal went out there, and it was steam coal, so it was the best kind of coal. And it was uh, this huge industrial explosion that really made Wales a modern nation within about 50 years. Because it fueled the economy. Oh, well, you know, Wales was kind of a, a backward rural economy, probably, to the 1800s, and then um, iron in places like Merthyr, and then coal particularly, the deep coal mining just to the north of Cardiff, and then the development of the docks in Cardiff. It was Bonanza. It was El Dorado. But good things have to come to an end, or bad things have to come to an end. Sure. I mean, down to the 1920s, um, when, if you like, the Great Depression sets in early for Wales with the coming of hydroelectricity and oil and other things. But up to that point, uh, millionaires are being made in Wales. We're talking about coal barons. We're talking about coal. We're, talk we're in Cardiff Castle, which is a 19th century Victorian fairy story. It's a confection. It's on an original base. The Normans and the Romans were here. But this is the work of a man called William Burgess, who was a crazy, zany Victorian architect. And it is one of the and is jewels. It, and isn't it interesting that people who come to Cardiff will visit Cardiff Castle, where we are right now, thinking that it's all back to the 11th century, but it's not. Absolutely not. I mean, this is Disney World uh, in, in a Victorian sense in Cardiff. It, you know, you've seen it. It's really beautiful. And there it is in the middle. I mean, there is one building here that dates back to, let's say, the 11th century, but not really. N well, the Normans were here and the Romans were here. And, and so, sure, I mean, there were, uh, and there were battles here. But that kind of, Cardiff w fell into a slough of despond for centuries, really. And as you said at the beginning, it's coal that really is the rocket fuel ride in, in, into the future for it. And then it was coal that almost killed it. Well, the thing with Cardiff is it, there's three phases. I mean, the one you've just described, which is this enormous expansion. You know, it's the fastest-growing city in Britain down to the 1920s. Then you've got about 30, 40 years of economic, what should we say? Malaise. Malaise, torpor. It's dead. It's a provincial city. I like torpor better. Okay, good. Malaise, torpor. It's, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I mean, Malaise I'm, and torpor. That sounds like a bad law firm. <laughs> I, I'm old enough to remember that, Cardiff, and it was a very dusty, quiet town and the Welsh economy obviously was not was not thriving but then this this second miracle really has happened I'd say in the last 20-25 years that Wales has changed again and you know we've got we've, the government's here but all of the institutions but, let's, are but here. let's talk about what happened because there was this there, there came a point where it was either politically or environmentally correct to say stop the mining well, the, the mining was stopped because of the great strikes of, of the 1970s and the 1980s. I mean, you know, there were political things going on as well. I mean, coal itself was getting more difficult to mine, but let's make no mistake about it. I mean, Wales was de-industrialized um, by, by the British government at the time, Mrs. Thatcher, who, whose name is not popular in Wales. Because once that happened, you needed to replace that economic engine. And it took a long time to do that, and, and we still haven't quite got there. But through, uh, if you like, the regional economy that Cardiff, the city dynamo now gives it, th think of Barcelona and think of Cardiff. Think of, think of uh, Manchester in the north of England. Think of maybe some of the great European cities. That's what Cardiff has become. It's, it's a kind of a, a little uh, motor for the economy within Wales itself. 
And what's driving that motor now? Well, I mean, there are the new skills coming in, the, the finance industries, but also it's become a, a center of government, of administration, with the coming of the Welsh government in 1997, the first you know, elected government in Wales. Um, we have the BBC, we have Media City, we have uh, theatre. Uh, you you know, have the arts. Well, the arts, I think, are the way in which Wales is being expressed probably better in, than any other way. Now. And you would say that because you're the head of the... Of the Arts Council. Thank you very much. Okay, <laughs> but in what way? Because because you've got great performing arts centres now. You've got great venues. We have terrific venues right across Wales, uh, and a lot of that has come again from um, the raising of money, both public and private, but mostly public money, and the willingness to create a national theatre. We have a national theatre in two languages in Wales. Remember, we speak okay, Welsh. Wait, wait. Two languages: one that I can understand, <laughs> and the one that I can't. Croeso. I mean, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Well, Professor Dysmith, the cool thing about it is everybody's now performing in Wales. They're all coming now. Well, the more people come to Wales, I think, the more people can see this is one of the fastest-growing areas of Europe, and Cardiff, this, this young capital of an old country, is, I think, one of the most exciting places to visit on the globe. If you are sitting next to a small child or someone who is acting like a small child, please do us all a favor and put on your mask first. Journalist, broadcaster, a local girl, Carolyn Hitt from uh, from uh, Cardiff. How are you? Very good, Peter. It's lovely to be here. So uh, let's let's start let's start out with an assumption. Okay, the assumption is that most of my fellow Americans don't know where Wales is. That mm-hmm. uh, they don't know what Wales is all about. Um, they may have heard about it because of Catherine Zeta Jones or Tom Jones, all the Joneses. Um, but we go beyond that, don't we? Very much so. Um, I've got a lot of uh, family in America, actually, uh, in Chicago. And, and you had to educate them, didn't you? I did, because, you know, they have the obsession with Scotland and Ireland. Uh, and I said, we've got all the great things that those places have in terms of scenery and heritage. But if you're coming over to, to Britain, you couldn't base yourself in a better place than Wales, particularly Cardiff, to see all the things that Americans like to see when they're over here. You can be in London in two hours. You can easily do London as a day trip. You can be bar- in Bath in an hour, Oxford. And yet you can base most of your holiday here in Cardiff. And within an hour of where we're sitting now, we have the most incredible scenery, Brecon Beacons. We've got the world-class beaches of the Gower, uh, further west, Pembrokeshire, and, you know, hundreds okay, but, of but, castles. But you're, but you're throwing... You know, we know about the castles. You know about the castles. We're sitting but, in one. Yeah, I know. Um, but we're probably sitting in the one that's got the least amount of history when you think about it. As a castle? Yeah. Well, we've got the great kind of, you know, Norman bit in the middle and then this fabulous folly built around it, you know, which it's is... It's like uh, an amusement park, I know. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of Cardiff in microcosm because Cardiff's um, is a young city, it's a, it's a new city, you know, it's, it's only been uh, the capital, of, you know, for just over 50 years and uh, a city for just over 100 years. Um, and it's got that freshness and energy and, uh, you know, it's a very interesting place to be. And, you know, here we are at Cardiff Castle, but Wales is a, is, a, is a location that has more than 600 castles. I know, we're spoilt for choice. I mean, every, at one point somebody said, okay, a man's castle is his home, not a man's home is his castle. <laughs> <laughs> and they uh, built them. And if you wanted to see a, you know, a really authentic castle, I mean, just literally 20 minutes down the road, Cardfilly Castle. Um, I mean, that's the stuff of Game of Thrones, you know. I mean, it's just immense with a moat and um, it's a really kind of awe-inspiring 
kick-ass castle. Now, oh, a kick-ass castle. Okay, <laughs> I want to go to one of those. No, but in, to put things in perspective, you can say that there are more than 600 castles in Wales. Not all of them are in great repair. We've got a few kind of crumbly ones, yes. Uh, <laughs> let's go to crumbly castle. Crumbly castle. <laughs> but we do have some beautifully preserved places and uh, and some really wild and romantic places like Kennen is pitched high on a hillside. Um, Carnarvon Castle, it's really grand. Uh, and Cardiff Castle is fun. I mean, we're just looking around us now, and you know, these kind of the medieval um, or mock medieval yeah. decor, you know, it's great. And it's bang in the middle of town, you know, bang in the middle of the city. Yeah, well, the cool thing about it is in the summer, they have the markets here. They actually come inside the castle grounds and they, and they do some markets. Yeah. I've bought my share of chutney here in the past. <laughs> but then right across the street, you've got the central market, and you just go right in town, right? And there's everything you want in there. It's a very kind of walkable city. I mean, it's it's almost, it's, you know, as a Cardiffian, I feel it's got the... Um, oh, I like that, as a Cardiffian. Cardiffian, yes, yeah. Yes. And actually, if you're a resident here, you have free entrance to the castle all year round. You know, you want to have a kind of sense of ownership. But you can do pretty much everything on, your t- on two legs here. And uh, uh, one of the other great things, where we, we can probably see out the window, is, of course, the other kind of modern castle of Wales, which is the Millennium Stadium, which is a very precious place to me. Yes, and it's precious to you because you're a sports nut. I am. I love rugby. And I know and, and rugby in America, it's, it's, I know it's the fastest growing American uh, sport for women at the moment. For women? I was told by the head of world rugby. Wow. Um, and I've been on a rugby tour to America down the uh, East Coast. I had a fantastic welcome from the people of uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Well, I will tell you, though, yeah. about, about a month ago, I was actually a little more than a month ago, I was in London during the craziness of the World Cup. Yes, oh. of the All Blacks. And you know what? I just knew they were going to win. And boy, did they win. They they did kick ass. Oh, I mean, they're, they're just, uh, they're on another planet of rugby talent. But, but here's uh, what I, okay, you have to explain something to me. Okay. This is what I don't understand about rugby. I understand about running with the ball and passing the ball and then throwing yourself over the finish line and sliding on your stomach. Okay, I get it. But the beginning where they're all like in this scrum and they're all, it's, it's, it, it looks like really like, like someone's committing a felony. <laughs> they, they're all like hugging each other and there's a, the ball kind of comes out like somebody hatched an egg and then it sits there. Uh-huh. And then somebody like taps it and taps it. And taps. Why wouldn't you just grab the ball and run with it? The scrums is kind of battle, really. Again, we're getting yeah. back to our kind of castle metaphors, yeah. and and it's where both teams, both sets of forwards, you know, the big men, not the kind of the piano shifters rather than the piano players in the backs. It's where they kind of have to front up to each other and find out who's the dominant pack. So it's it's a psychological battle the scrum as, as much as a physical one, and it's also from a technical point of view the way you restart play when it's broken down. So. Right, there but, you go. but they, they get, they're all lockheads, and they're all looking at each other, and they're, <laughs> they're doing everything sort of growling. I, uh-huh. I, I bet they are growling, actually. Oh, very much so, very yeah. much so. Okay, there's growling. Yeah. Okay, fine. And then the ball comes out. It's sort of like something, bloop, and then it sits there. Oh, no, it's whipped away, usually, by, you know, someone. Have you seen the statue of Gareth Edwards while, you, while you've been here? Our greatest ever rugby I, player. Seen, yes, I have. Yeah? Yes. Well, he would have been the person, the scrum half, whipping that ball away, so... All right, so you were excited watching that. I was, and, and... And what pub were you in at the time? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> I, was, I went to most of the World Cup games, actually, and what was wonderful about the World Cup is that even though England were the official hosts, we got to share in the fun. Um, we staged eight games here, in, including some quarterfinals. And I think... I mean, I spoke to many fans from across the world, um, and they said... I mean, a New Zealand journalist actually recorded this on video, and they're the, the toughest people to please. He said Cardiff is the greatest rugby city in the world because it's, it's unique having a stadium right in the middle of the city. Yeah. So, so you, you, know, you fall out to that stadium at the end of the game, straight into the pub, 
and the atmosphere is just immense. I mean, I go to watch rugby all across the world to some of the great places in New Zealand and South Africa where you get to the nether regions of a city and you trudge back in after the final whistle. But in Cardiff, the party never ends because you're already here. The whistle's blown right in the middle of the city. Yeah, the third By half. By the way, the thing that was the coolest thing about that game was that after the game, when one of the New Zealand players was, was coming off the, the, the pitch and this kid ran out. You know what I'm oh, talking about. Oh, I saw about, that. Right? Yeah, it was this wonderful. This kid runs out. And the security guy tries tackled to try, him. Yeah. And, and so the, the player comes over and rescues the kid yeah. and comes over to the sidelines and he's already been given his medal. And the, the New Zealand player takes off his medal and gives it to the kid. That's Sonny Bill Williams for you, all, all black legend. Yeah, it was a wonderful moment. And that's another wonderful thing about rugby. I think as a sport, um, you know, you see this carnage on the pitch, but it's a gentleman's sport. It's about... Now it's stop got, that right It's got there. ethics. Wait a minute, wait, hold it. Wait, stop, 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 stop. This is not a gentleman's sport. These guys are beating the crap out of each but other. But they always go off afterwards and they put their arms around each other. It's, um... They've been putting around their, their arms around each other during the entire game. What are you talking about? <laughs> I've actually brought you something, Peter, on the subject. Uh-oh. I brought you a little present. Uh-oh. This is scary. What? I knew you wanted to find out about the part rugby plays in Welsh culture. Yes. And uh, I've written a couple of books. Ah. I'm not plugging here. This is, a, this is just a present for you. Okay. Um, but this kind of gives a lot of the context. It's called Welsh Rugby in the 1970s when we, <laughs> we were hugely dominant. You know, best team in the world, arguably. I mean, all blacks were there as well. Um, but it just, it's a book about what it means to Welsh people and how much is tied up with our identity and how, why it's important to us and why it's a very much a people's game. Whereas in, whereas in England, it's, it, it is a bit more kind of middle class, upper class. But here... It's rooted in the working classes right through. And if you didn't have rugby in Wales, you'd be in big trouble. Well, well it is one of our identifiers. Yeah. You know? I think it, it is something that um, when you go elsewhere, they say, oh, yeah, Wales and rugby. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Welcoming back, Ruth Kafer to the show. She's the visual arts manager for the Cardiff Council. Hey, Ruth. Hello. How are you? I'm good. You know, every time I come back to uh, uh, to Wales, I'm seeing an explosion in the visual arts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be really shut down. It used to be bland. Mm. It's not bland anymore, is it? No, it's quite an exciting time for Cardiff. There's um, hundreds of artists relocating to the city. Um, developing a community. Developing a community. And the, the council, which is the local authority, are being absolutely fantastic and um, letting the artists use the actual fabric of the city and buildings in the city Give me to an make example. their artwork. Give me an example. Um, well, I organise a festival called Cardiff Contemporary, which is a biennial festival. Um, the next one um, will start in October the 20th, 2016. So we'll use the fabric of the city um, for different projects using light, sound, art, um, visual projects. Um, Referencing technology, because I think a lot of people don't realise... How much high-tech Cardiff is. And how innovative Cardiff is. The first wireless signal was sent by Marconi from Cardiff, a little island off Cardiff. And by the way, speaking of wireless, how how much can you love Cardiff when the whole city is free Wi-Fi? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, come on. Can you, do you hear me, hoteliers? Do you hear me, airports? Cardiff is all Wi-Fi. It's free. I love it. Yeah. 
super, super fast. Yeah, yeah. and it is, too. Yeah. You like that, don't you? Yeah. But this is drawing in all the local artists, but you're now basically promoting them as well. Yeah, we're promoting them. I think um, that we, we also run, um, there's a one of the biggest artist prize in the world called Artist Mundi, um, which is a Latin word, means arts of the people. That will also open on October the 20th, 2016, where some of the best international artists in the world have been um, nominated and will come and make work in the city. So from Berlin, um, from USA, I think Future Farmers uh, come in. Um, they're based in San Francisco. So quite exciting things will happen in Cardiff. And the other thing year. is, let's not forget you know, some of the old stuff, the Impressionist paintings. Yeah, we've got one of the biggest Impressionist painting collection um, outside of Paris, really. So... Um, there was a, a group. Well, you know who's got it? Mm -hmm. the, the Hermitage in, in St. Petersburg, mm -hmm. Paris, yeah. and you. In Cardiff, yeah. Why Cardiff? Because it's magic. <laughs> but no, but <laughs> how did that happen here? Um, there was two sisters called the Davis sisters. Um, uh, they went traveling around Europe in uh, the 1800s. Um, quite a wealthy family and brought a lot of the art back back to Wales. Um, so we have a National um, Museum of Wales with new contemporary art galleries and they've got a fantastic Impressionist collection, um, a lot of Renaissance art as well and a really, really sort of exciting contemporary art programme as well. And I must tell you, I've been to the museum here, mm -hmm. uh, to the building, beautiful building, yeah. and they've got so many different things you can look at. I mean, you spend days in there, it's great. It's amazing that a lot of the civic sculpture around Cardiff as well, because when you walk around the, the civic centre um, and look on the buildings, you know, it's, it might look like classical sculpture, but if you look at it, there's the first ever sculpture in the world of somebody on a mobile telephone from 1920, <laughs> which if you think about from it, was which is before they even invented it. So, But if you look at the sculpture, that's what it is. So we, we like that So story. basically what you're telling me is people were drinking back then. People are always drinking in Wales in a very refined way. <laughs> yeah, e e easy for you to say. Huh? Easy for you to say. Listen, what, when you go to a bar, to listen, when you go to a bar in Wales and you ask what you have on tap, it takes them four hours to tell you. The best thing about Cardiff, apart from all the castles, apart from the landscape, apart from the bay, is the people, and I think that's that's what makes the city a great place. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. From the WMC, my our good friend, uh, back on the show again, Nia Elias. How are you? Noswetha. I'm very well. Thank you very much. What did you just say? I said Noswetha, which is uh, good evening in Welsh. Okay. Well, good evening right back to you, because I'm <laughs> not going to even try to pronounce it. It's an impossible language. You know it. Oh, it's a beautiful no, no, language. Well, it's a beautiful language if you know it. If it's not, I mean, the signage in Welsh is enough to confuse you. <laughs> I mean, you stand there and go, could there be a vowel in there somewhere? I'm hoping for a vowel, right? It's, it's amazing. But the cool thing about the WMC is that you're now perfectly positioned to handle just about anything from a cultural and arts perspective, any kind of conference. But the cool thing is everybody's showing up there now. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Yes, we are. It's been 10 years in the making, so we're still a young organization, but going into our teenage years now. And it's a, a fantastic position to be in because we've worked hard over the last 10 years and it's a great platform to be uh, growing from. All right. So I'm going to ask a silly question, maybe, but... 
remember, you had to start from something. Was it tough getting people to take you seriously? To say, hey, we're on the map now, come see us? Um, perhaps not so much tough to take us seriously, but absolutely for people to come along and, and try something new. Um, people have always come along to see the the big hitting musicals that they don't now have to go to London to see. Right, but what I was going to suggest is this. We, there was a movie made years ago called Field of Dreams, and the concept was if they build it, they will come, right? That's not always the case. That may have no. worked in the movies. You're right. If you build yeah. it, that doesn't mean they're going to come. you got to give True. them something to come for. Yeah, right? and what they come for is, is not only the shows that happen inside, but the, the welcome that they get, the free activities that happen in the foyer, the ambience, the buzz of the place, um, and not well, just the, the place what, itself. What, what I like about the place is you... You can have three things going on at the same time. Mm, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, if you're not careful, you'll be at somebody's wedding. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what happens here at the castle. That's what happens at no, the castle. Literally, when we walked in today, somebody said, oh, are you here for the wedding? And then the second, oh, you must be here for the wedding. I said, no, I'm not getting married. We're doing our radio show. Yeah. And I, I think we got it down. We're doing the radio show. I'm not getting married. Okay. Yeah. What's the biggest surprising performance you've had there? surprising performance I think yeah. it's it's each to their own in terms of people coming along I mean one of the most wonderful evenings that I spent there recently and it was surprising I was in a dress rehearsal in one of the rehearsal studios for Man to Man which is the World Millennium Centre's own drama on the main stage was the Jersey Boys um, <laughs> and in outside there was a performance for Black History Month so it's you couldn't it's have anything more different if you wanted mm -hmm. right and let's hope the people had the tickets, went to the tickets they wanted to go see. Absolutely, and, absolutely, yeah. Because <laughs> Black History Month would not have worked well with Jersey Boys or the Welsh uh, drama, yeah. It would have been surprising for people, I suppose. It was surprising <laughs> that, you had, that you had all three go. How did Jersey Boys do? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very sold out for the entire time that it was with us, yeah. Are you getting a lot of American musicals here? Uh, we are. Um, next year, we've got Chicago. Um, we have Mary Poppins, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Billy Elliot, all the biggies. But we are also launching our first ever made musical by the Wales Millennium Centre, which is a, a World War II love story. Composed and done here. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Wow. Just like War Horse was done. Similarly, right? Very yes, much so, absolutely, right? yeah. absolutely. So Only the Brave starts his journey next year in March. And who knows where it will go? Absolutely. Maybe the same success as War Story. Or War Horse. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... 
Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.